just be prepared is all I'm going to say. So Aiden's going to bring it today. So with that, Aiden, it's yours. So I'm Aiden Handel. Um, if you don't know me, um, I am Mexican and Jewish, so I have double blessings. <laughs> um, I recently got married to my beautiful wife, Savannah Mercado, who is Savannah Handel now, who's right here in front. Um, yes, <laughs> I'm truly blessed. Um, I also recently graduated college. Um, I grew up as a missionary to Native, Ameri Native American reservations with my parents. So I grew up in ministry, I grew up in church, um, and I am so privileged here today to be able to bring the message to you. I'm so grateful that I'm able to be here in a community of believers, of brothers and sisters to give this message. So if you can, I just want to ask you, congregation, if you would join me in prayer to just lay the foundations because I really want transformation. I really want God to move. And I think we always need to make space for the Lord to move right before we preach. So if you join me in prayer, Lord, we pray, God, that you would allow this message to pierce through hearts, Lord. We pray, God, that you would allow this to be on the minds of these people throughout their whole week and throughout their lives, Father. I pray, God, that First and foremost, my heart would be humble before you, Father, and you only, Lord. I pray, God, that this message would glorify you and not me, Father. I pray, God, that this message would reach people and that it would echo throughout time, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would use me and that your Holy Spirit would fill me and speak through me, Father. Let my words be your words, Lord, and your words only, Father. So I thank you today, Father, and I give you the stage, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Today's preaching is called Jesus in our dwelling, Jesus in our dwelling, and the purpose of this message is to show you that within the humanity of Christ, we find a connection for authentic transformation, and I'm going to be preaching out of the book of John, and the book of John was written as a gospel to build faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so that people would believe that truly Jesus was the Son of God. And what's interesting about the book of John is it leaves out miracles that other books have. For example, when Jesus was tempted is not in the book of John. When Jesus sweat blood is not in the book of John. John's objective is to highlight Jesus for who he was so that people would believe. And I want to highlight Jesus for who he was as a human. But I want you to know that Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. Let's not forget that. But I do want to focus on the humanity of Christ today. So the question you're probably asking yourself is how do we know that God is fully man and fully human? And well, in the scriptures it says in John 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God in the beginning. Through him all things are made, 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and full of truth. As we see in these scriptures, Jesus was at the very beginning of time, at the very beginning of creation, but he also had took on human flesh to come and sacrifice himself. Jesus was God, but he was human at one time also. What's interesting is that during my studies, the Greek word for the word in the scripture is translated to the word logos, and you spell that L-O-G-O-S. And that word means the message. For, so for this preaching, I want for the sake to use the word the message within the scripture to show you what it says. And it says in John 1 through 3, in the beginning was the message, and the message was with God, and the message was God in the beginning. Through him all things are made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. John 1.14, the message became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the message at the very beginning from God. And Jesus was the message when Jesus became human. He was the message from God. He was almost the love letter to humanity, that he loved humans, that he wanted to send Jesus to sacrifice himself because he loved humanity so much. He, through the message, through Jesus, showed that Jesus was willing to take on flesh into a dirty, sinful world for our sake. You see, knowing that Jesus was man, people make the mistake of saying that we can only focus on the godly part of Jesus. But we must remember that without the godly part or without the human part, there's a piece always that's going to be missing. Jesus was fully man and he was fully God. And with that together, the salvation story is all that much sweeter. We must not forget Jesus was both God and man. Within Jesus' humanity, we find the key to authentic transformation. How many of you guys need authentic transformation in this room? Because I know I do. And within Jesus, within him taking on flesh, we find what we, meet, what we need to be truly human. You see, because at the beginning in Genesis, when it says that we were made in the image of God, it was distorted by sin. But Jesus was not distorted by sin. He became the true image of God, meaning that he is showing us what it means to be truly human in the image of God. So what I want to do today is I want to highlight a couple stories that Jesus did in, on his ministry and what I want to show you is Jesus' response and how we can learn how to be human through the way he responds in certain situations. So let's begin our journey in John 11. 
In John 11, the death of Lazarus had just happened. Lazarus was Jesus' friend, and he was the brother of Martha and Mary. So now, in John 11, 1 through 4, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness was, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus knew that, Jesus, that Lazarus' death and resurrection would be for not only his glory, but for God's glory. But what's interesting is if we look in John 13, 5 through 8, uh, sorry, John 11, 33 through 35, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? I mean, we just saw that this was going to be for not only his glorification, but God's. So why did he to take the moment to weep? It just doesn't make sense. Because it was supposed to glorify himself. But I believe that Jesus was looking at Martha and he felt what she felt, and she, he mourned with Martha and Mary through the loss that they had just went through. Jesus took the time to mourn before he had resurrected Lazarus. And we see in John eleven thirty eight through 39, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Jesus took the time to mourn before he, was, before he did the work of God to move the tomb and to resurrect Lazarus. Jesus took the capacity, the time to mourn so that he could do the work of God afterwards. And I think there's a message in there that we must take the time to mourn before we truly are effective in the work of God. I was working at Pizza Hut, and I had just come back from a delivery, and um, I was outside, I was in my car, and I get a call from my dad. Usually when my dad calls me, it's usually like, hi, mijo, how are you doing? Or, hi, mijo, I love you, like, what, what are you doing? But this was different. Before he said anything, there was a long pause, and I knew something in my spirit was saying something was off, there's something going on. And I remember, ah, I'm going to try not to cry. <laughs> and I remember that in that moment, my dad had said that my uncle had committed suicide. He's not my uncle by blood, but he saw me grew up, and he was an uncle to me. And I remember in that instant, hearing my dad, there was no words whatsoever after that. And we just weeped, and we weeped, and we weeped. And we stopped weeping, and we hung up, and that was it. You know, the sad thing about this is that my dad wasn't even California when this happened. He wasn't there to mourn over the one that he loved. He was doing God's work. He was here in Montana, 
and he was doing something called Native American Coalition. And what he was trying to do is he was trying to get leaders trained so that they could go back into the communities and be leaders within their communities. My dad was doing God's work, but the suicide of my uncle was in the back of his mind. My dad is the kind of, if you ask anyone that knows my dad, he's the kind of guy that can't sit down. He has to constantly be doing something. He has to constantly be cleaning. He has to be constantly be typing or texting or calling someone to keep him busy. So that means that there's a problem. My dad could not take the moment to mourn because he was doing God's work, and there's so many other things that he was thinking about. But you know what's funny is that this very same day that my uncle had committed suicide, my dad got COVID. My dad had to go in solitude the moment that my uncle had committed suicide, and now he had to come face to face with what had happened. God had put him in a place where he had to mourn, and there was no other choice. I remember calling my dad, knowing that he was in quarantine for a couple days already, and I know my dad is... He's probably going to be upset because he likes to move. He likes to do things. And I asked him, how are you doing? And he said, I'm doing good, mijo. I'm just, you know, I'm a little bored. You know, I'm, I'm here in my pain. There's no one here with me. I can't even have your mom in here with, in the room because I have COVID. And I remember the spirit just coming over me and saying that. And, 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 and I said to my dad, I said, Fa, I want you to realize something. If you didn't get COVID and you weren't put into quarantine, you wouldn't have the capacity to mourn. And if you didn't have the capacity to mourn, your work for God would have been suppressed. Your work of God would have been less effective. You see, we need to have the capacity to mourn. We have to mourn the ones we lose before we go out into the world and do things for God. Because your effectiveness in God's kingdom counts on it. But you see, the problem here is, is sadly, the church and Christians sometimes, when someone loses someone, it goes instantly to things will get better. That God has a plan within the death. People don't want to hear that. It causes pain more than it causes healing. You see, the biggest thing that you can do for someone that is mourning, even though you don't know the person they're mourning after, is mourn with them. Why? We see it in, in John, that he took the capacity to mourn over his friend's loss. So we must take the capacity to, to mourn over the, not only the ones we lose, but the ones that our friends lose as well. Why? Because Jesus shows us how to do it. There has to be a reason that before Jesus even went to the tomb that he took the time to mourn. And you see, Jesus... The number one response in, in this story is that Jesus took the time to mourn his loved one before he took action. He took the time to mourn, and then he did God's work afterwards. We must take the time to mourn who we've lost. We must take the time to mourn with our brothers and sisters so that we can do the work of God more effectively. Because mourning suppresses the spirit of God in us if we do not become aware of it if we do not be present with our mourning emotions are important and that's why jesus had emotions as well when he was human 
Now, there's another story in John 13 that is different, that shows us a different side of Jesus. Jesus is preparing to clean the feet of the disciples. In John 13, 1 through 3, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for, the, for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus knew who he was, and he knew that he was going to return to the Father after his death. He knew his purpose, and he knew his identity. Now in John 13, 5 through, five, uh, five through 8, it says, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who had said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You see, what Simon was upset with was Jesus wasn't the one that was supposed to wash the feet. Because at the time, people that were washing the feet were the servants. They knew who Jesus was, and they knew that he was the Lord at this point. But the Lord was coming down to humanity's feet and wiping humanity's feet and cleaning it. I don't know if you understand that, but that does not make sense. <laughs> uh, why would God come and clean his own sinful creation's feet? It doesn't make sense. But Jesus knew who he was. And because of that, Jesus knew that he was it was not what he was doing that gave him his value, but it was who he was. What he did was not the point of it. It was who he was. He knew that he was the Lord. He knew that he was the Savior. But he still got on his feet and wiped the disciples' feet still. He still got low, looking up to them. The Lord was looking up to humanity. That doesn't make sense, but the Lord did it. And in the same way, through our identity in Christ, we must be servants up to Christ. We must be servants unto the world in the right way. You see, Jesus had literally turned the societal roles at the time period on its head. The Savior of the world was washing his own creation's feet, including Ju Judas, the one that would betray him. Imagine washing the feet of the one who hated you, who was going to lead to your own death. That's a hard thing to do. I would not do it, honestly, I wouldn't, because that just would be hard. But Jesus still did it. You see, your value comes not from what you do, but who the Father says you are. And people will tell you that you're plenty of things. Teenagers are given so many things on social media that tell them who they are, who they must be, how they must look. And they're not given the capacity to know who Christ is in them because there's so many other things that are trying to give them identity. 
I want to tell you who you are in Christ. You are a saint. You are faithful in Christ Jesus. You are given grace. You are made part of Christ's body. You are given mercy. You are given peace. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are chosen before the foundation of the earth. You are holy and you are blameless. You are loved. You are predestined for adoption. You are adopted as a son. You are redeemed through his blood. You are forgiven of trespasses. You are lavished with grace. You are given knowledge of the mystery of his will. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are guaranteed an inheritance. You are given faith. You are given hope. You are given God's power. You are made alive with Christ. You are saved by grace. You are raised up with Christ. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are a display of God's grace and kindness in the coming ages. And that's not all. You are given the gift of salvation. You are God's workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are no longer a slave or stranger to the covenants of promise. You're brought near by the blood of Christ. You are made part of one new man. You are reconciled with God. You are a fellow citizen with the saints. You are given access to the Father. You are a member of God's household. You are a holy temple. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God with other believers. Can I get an amen? amen. That is who you are in Christ. And if only Christians knew who they were in Christ, this world would be a lot different. If Christians knew who they were in Christ, then suicide in our teenagers would not be as high. If Christians knew who they were in Christ, alcoholism would not be rampant. If Christians knew who they were in Christ, there would be a lot more love and a lot less hate. If there would know who they were in Christ, there would be a lot less opinions and there would be a lot more truth in who Jesus is and who Jesus believes we must do. Jesus gave us our identity and through identity of Christ, we find our value. You are not what your father thinks you are. You are not what your sister thinks you are. You are not what the world thinks you are. You are not what the culture says you are. Because you, in the identity of Christ, were meant to be counter-cultural, counter-world, counter-sin. You were made to be counter-everything that the devil ruined. And with that, because of who you are in Christ, people will hate you like Jesus. People will hate you with Jesus. In John 15, 18 to 35, John 15, 18 through 25, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me 
hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was going to be hated because of who he was. But he did not care because he knew his purpose and he knew his identity. When you are hated, sometimes it will afflict you. Sometimes it will conflict you. But Jesus is saying, remember your identity and remember your purpose in Christ first. Because I almost promise you that if you react like Jesus did, love would be the outcome of someone else's hate. With that, Jesus, knowing that he would be hated for no reason, stayed firm in his purpose and identity. We must remember that the hatred that we encounter because of us being Christ followers is secondary to the first hate that Jesus encountered in order to redeem us of our own sin. Our hate is secondary because Jesus took on the primary hate for us. And if we stand on that reality, hatred will not have power unless we give it power. You see, if you are doing the work of God and you are not hated by the world, then you must be doing something wrong. I must be doing something wrong because the disciples were hated for who they were in Christ. Christ was hated for who he was. Many people, almost all the people that were called by God were hated by someone. So that means that we will face hatred. We will face oppression. And I'm telling you now that people in other parts of the world are already facing this persecution. It hasn't come to us yet because we live in the United States, but it's coming. But you must remember that Jesus was hated first. And your, prime, and your hatred that you face is secondary. Jesus allows us to have an identity. And if I want you to leave with anything this morning, I want you to know that Jesus understands. These were only three examples that we must mourn, that we must serve, and that we must be hated in the right way. That is just the tip of the iceberg of everything Jesus shows us within his humanity. My purpose is to show you that Jesus understands your pain, that Jesus understands poverty, that Jesus understands what it means to be poor, that Jesus understands what it means to make a living. He was a carpenter, remember? Jesus understands what it means to feel pain. Jesus understands what it means to lose someone. Jesus understands the pain of alcoholism because alcoholism was just as rapid back then as it is today. Jesus understands what it means to be human. And because he understands our human condition, his sacrifice is all that much sweeter. Jesus gives us identity, and through that identity, we must go out and be disciples. Disciples that are so firm in who they are that hatred and the pushback of society would not affect them. I encourage you, church, today that you go out and be hated for the right reason. <laughs> I encourage you today that you would serve with a heart like Jesus, being humble, even knowing that you have the key to salvation. 
I want you today to go out knowing that we must mourn the ones we lost and mourn the ones who've lost others because that is the love of Christ in action. Identity and action are one and one. You see, the greatest things that have been said throughout society had not been words, they were actions. If you want to do something that is big, do an action that speaks volumes because that's what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself. That was the echo throughout time. Pray with me today. Jesus, I pray, Father, that this message had reached people's hearts, Lord, that it pierced through hearts, Lord. I pray, God, that you make the, the foundation of people's new lives, Lord. I pray, God, that this message will allow people to undertake their identity in Christ so that they can reach others, Lord, and bring them into the identity of Christ also, Father. Allow us to mourn. Allow us to serve. Allow us to be hated for who we are in you, Lord, in the right way, Lord. Allow us, Father, to be humble before you. And let us not forget, Lord, that you are truly human and you are truly God. And because you are human, you understand our human condition. You understand our pain, Lord. In Jesus' name, Father, amen. Please stand with me. We're going to finish with a song.